Good evening, everyone. Welcome again. Kemanache. <laughs> so, uh, very nice to have all of you, and uh, this is what we do here. <laughs> and uh, so, let me say a little something about um, Kirtan and the type of style, the form of, of Kirtan that we. Um, participate in as a, as a spiritual practice. <clears throat> it's done in practice uh, and also done in, in ecstasy. Um, and um, the, in one sense, the personification of this type of kirtan was also very much an embodiment of ecstasy in the religious uh, world or the history of religious figures in the world, sadhus, saintly people, cross-culturally, um, the, uh, the founder, if you will, of this type of kirtan, Prem, Prem Sankirtan, it's uh, been referred to there as a logician, famous logician from, from Bengal, Sarvambhata Charja. He's listed in the Encyclopedia Britannica as the greatest logician of India. Um, he uh, hailed originally uh, from Bengal at the time, and uh, this was in the 16th, uh, early part of the 16th century. Bengal, uh, near the Ganga Delta, the Delta of the Ganges, where the where the uh, Ganges River meets the Bay of Bengal, and we come from the glacier high in the mountain in the Himalayas down to the Bay of Bengal, nourishing people and animals and so forth all along the way, a very rich vein, if you will, of life for the subcontinent of of India, especially in the days before the kind of environmental uh, crisis we uh, are confronted with today or we've brought upon ourselves. Um, so, uh, he hailed from there, and that area, uh, in particular, is, is known as Navadweep. Nava means nine. Dweep means island, so it was a place of nine islands at the, at the, at the delta of the Ganges, where, as I say, it meets the Bay of Bengal. But there was another town, Matila, which had a, had kind of the crown of scholarship. And so he was a scholar. So he, as was the custom in those days, he went to that town, Matila, to learn there what was then called Nabanyaya, a new type of, uh, Nyaya means uh, logic, Nabanyaya. One of the, Nyaya is one of the great philosophies of, of, uh, of India, ancient times. So he went there to learn, um, and um, he memorized the book, <laughs> The story goes, and then he went to back to his own area, Namadweep, and um, based on his study and his explanations and so forth, Namadweep became the crown place of learning mm-hmm. and um, scholarship in India at the time. Again, this is the like early part of the 16th century, late part of the. 15th century, <clears throat> and it's in that area that the, uh, the, the 
personification of the founder of this type of kirtan that we've just done, appeared at, at an age which would have made him something like a, like a grandchild of this logician, Sarvabhoma, who had a student named, what was his student's name? Raguna Shiromani. Hmm. And um, he had a desire to succeed his professor and become the greatest, best-known logician in all of India. And he wrote a small book hmm, expressing his scholarship and so forth. And he was happened to be crossing the Ganga on a boat with uh, the, the founder, as they say, of this type of kirtan, who the epithet by which he was known very in a very kind of intimate way was Nimai Pandit. Pandit, of course, means learned, and Nimai was his nickname, born under the neem tree. Are you familiar with the neem tree? It's very medicinal. Um, we grow them here also. <laughs> um, so he's born under the neem tree, so his nickname Nimai, and then the title Pandit was just kind of conferred by the public upon him for his own scholarship. But um, rowing across the Ganga, Raghunath Shiramani said to him that I have a desire to become the follower, that the student of Sarvabhoma that becomes known as the greatest scholar in all of, you know, the greatest logician in all of India. So uh, my Pandit said, well, let me, let me uh, see your book. So he showed him the book and and he said, very nice. He said, he passed it back to him. He said, I, I've written one too. Hmm? And so Raghunath Shiramani asked to see Nimai Pandit's book. So Nimai Pandit showed him the book. And then Raghunath began to weep. And Nimai Pandit said, why are you weeping? He said, because my desire to become the greatest scholar of India has, has, has faded <laughs> in the face of your book. Hmm? I have no chance. So... Nimai Pandit said, well, give it back to me. So he gave it back to him and he threw it in the Ganges. You can do. <laughs> so point being here, a very small point, to start off with, this, he was a great, this person who embodied this type of kirtan, which is an ecstatic expression of, of uh, divine love, was also a great scholar. Hmm? But he uh, wisely looked at the head as something that should be used to soften the heart, hmm? rather than to just get fatter and fatter. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and by this, I also want to say that while this expression of kirtan, as is, um, we just partook in, uh, is, is emotional, and um, it's not irrational. Hmm? Um, it is what you might call a transrational exercise. That would be an exercise that is not irrational, but picks up where reason leaves off. The premise is that reason unto itself does not have the capacity to bring us to comprehensive knowing or the kind of knowing by which we can feel, I don't need to know anything else. Hmm? Even though there may be many other things to know. Hmm? You follow me? Kind of knowing that, 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 if you will, that uh, that, that love is pregnant with. Hmm? When you love, you you know what to do. Hmm? Just to give a material example. So, um, in the Gita, you may be familiar with Bhagavad Gita. 
It's an 18th chapter book, and in the ninth chapter, which is the middle, the secret is contained there. It's reiterated at the end. Beginning of the ninth chapter, Krishna is speaking to his friend, the warrior Arjuna. He says, Rajavidya, Rajaguhyam. Now I'm going to tell you the, the Rajavidya, the king Raj of Vidya, of knowledge, and Rajaguhyam, the, the king of secrets. And so you're ready for like some really big uh, insight. But when it comes down to it, uh, what turns out to be the big secret and the greatest knowledge is something like, um, well, to cite another historical example, when Alexander of the Greeks was among those warriors who gathered to put themselves up against the prophecy that whoever could untie the Gordian knot would be the person who conquered India. Alexander was just a young lad at the time, so all these big warriors came up and they tried to untie the knot and none of them could do it. And so Alexander said, I can do it. And they said, well, you know, what is a young lad like you going to do next to these big warriors? Anyway, go ahead, you try. So he walked up, pulled out a sword and cut the knot. They said, oh, well, that, that doesn't count. Well, yeah, you don't tie the knot. <laughs> so you know, a, little, a little kind of common sense, if you will, that uh, exceeds, uh, that's, that's, that's not that common in the world. Hmm. It was told to give another example of what I'm saying, that, uh, but, that he who could stand an egg on its end would sail the ocean hmm, and successfully at a time when they thought the earth was flat. Hmm. So Columbus said, I could do it. Hmm. So he took the egg. Obviously, if you stand an egg on, it's going to fall one side or the other. So he took the egg and he went, made a little dent in it, then he stood it up. <laughs> some, some, some special kind of knowledge, if you will, some kind of, oh yeah, well, I, I could have thought of that, but, but nobody does, type of a thing. This is the kind of wisdom uh, that's shared in the middle chapter of the Gita. And it basically says that, that, that the highest knowledge is, is love. And in order to love perfectly, you have to have two things. You have to give without expectation of return, which we know. It's said in common English parlance that to give is to receive. Hmm? How far you want to play that out? <laughs> so as far as, so this, this, he's saying, come on. As far I'm, he, he say, Krishna offers us something else when he speaks to Arjuna. He says, first you have to give without expectation of receiving unlimitedly. And in order to do that, you have to have an object to which you can give that can take unlimitedly. That's another key to the... So there's two sides to it, right? You have to give without expectation of return. But if you give to a center that's not capable of receiving, then it cannot reciprocate in kind, right? So Krishna offers himself as the perfect object of love. Hmm? Is I represent the Godhead as the perfect object of love and in appearing in, in, in a particular form that includes love that, that exceeds love and awe and reverence like we might ordinarily think of God like Om and keep a little distance and, and, and so forth. Like if I was to say I'm God and I'm not and you believe me, you might go, oh my God, 
so, so Krishna is a form of the Absolute that represents kind of the heart, the romantic heart of the Absolute. Hmm? That, uh, that if the, to put it philosophically in another way, if the finite wants to get close to the infinite, then the infinite, out of its infinite capacity, has to take on a finite-like appearance in order for that to take place. That is the idea of Krishna. Hmm? And so, in love of God, hmm, we find new dimensions in uh, what is described in, in, in the Gita and what this kirtan is about. Dimensions of love that arguably exceed or transcend reverential love, which keeps the distance between the object of love. We have an object of worship, we have the worshiper, and we have worship. It bridges this gap where there's a unity between the object of love and and the lover. Hmm? There's a difference, is what I'm saying, between worship and love. Hmm? Worship is done with the calculation. It's God, I should worship God. I should do it. Hmm? Love has no calculation involved. So it's likened, for example, this kind of love of Krishna that comes out of this kirtan to um, the love you have for your friends, the love you have for your lover, the love you might have for your children. These are intimate forms of love that we think about in church. <laughs> you know, they have more power, is what I'm saying, to capture the mind and capture the heart. People go to church on Sunday and then they, you know, when I was just a kid, guys would check out the girls, you know. <laughs> so their minds were not a bad thing, but kids do that. You know? yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it wasn't planned, <laughs> something like that. And the girls kind of, you know, they checked out the guys too. This was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know what goes on today, but yeah. <laughs> I've been here in the jungle for, for too long. So... <laughs> So, so the point is that these are, in one sense, these friendly love or romantic love or even parental love are kind of a metaphor for love in intimacy hmm, that's very considerably consuming hmm, uh, to an extent that or measure that, it, that exceeds or transcends even reverential love of God. Wherein, in order for that to take place, the God has to almost forget that he's God as well. Hmm? It's a very extraordinary theological idea. And, and this kirtan is, 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 the, is the method, if you will, to the madness of this, that uh, Nimai Pandit, later known as Sri Krishna Chaitanya, when he became a renunciate and traveled in, 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 in India, uh, doing this kirtan, this was the method to his madness, which was considerable. Again, he threw out the logic. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, it's not to say that his chanting was illogical or unreasonable, but to say that there's something, that the reason itself is, it's not the final arbitrator of truth and meaning and purpose and so forth. And by the exercise of it alone, we cannot arrive at, at perfect knowledge. For every logic, there's another logic. Uh, you know, if you go to and take any contemporary issue, there's debate on either side. And, um, 
really they're decided by psychology and, and more than they are by by any clear logical winner predisposition some scar for uh, from the previous life and this life disposes us towards one side or or, or, or another hmm? so um, so reason reason is has its limit it has its place and it has a beautiful place interestingly enough as an ornament of faith it's often thought that faith is when we give up reason and we're a little crazy hmm. but uh, this is a, not the way we, we think of it at all hmm. faith is a kind of knowing in itself because suspicion or doubt leads to suspension. Krishna in the Gita says, Shraddha ayam purusha. A person is their faith. Faith animates. Hmm? It, it, it implies shraddha. It, it implies action, not the fence-sitting that intellectual knowing is about. You can sit on the fence all day long and try to figure out if the grass is greener on this side or that side, but you'll never know until you leap off the fence if you're a cow, I guess, and eat the grass. (laughs) Uh, uh, To play that out a little bit. Not that cows sit on fences, but I think they do wonder if the grass is better over there or over here. So, so there's a kind of knowing that I'm saying that transcends re- the, the capacity to apprehend a subject through reasoning is limited. We can reason about what an apple tastes like and know all the physical components of the apple and write it down. It's got this, this, but, but one taste from an illiterate person of the apple affords a knowing that exceeds any kind of other knowing uh, based on uh, an understanding of the physical properties that it's constituted of. Hmm? Right? So, something like this, the idea is that, 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 that for perfect knowing, we need a perfect method. And reason unto itself is imperfect. Hmm? We are experiencing some measure of imperfection. Therefore, we are constantly looking for and attracted to examples of perfection. That's really how we we move in the world, if you will. Um, I've given an example in, in recent times uh, of the Olympics. You know, if somebody runs one ten thousandth of a second faster than anybody else, it's like how the headlines. There's a gold medal. It's like. We've exceeded, we've transcended, we've gone beyond. We're more perfect, it's thought. Hmm? Or if the basketball goes through the rim, without even touching the rim, uh, or uh, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we we are all striving, knowingly or unknowingly, for for a, 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 uh, a sense of perfection, of perfect knowing. Now, some people say perfect knowledge doesn't exist. Some people say it does exist, but everybody looks for it. So who's crazy? Those who say it doesn't exist, but look for it anyway, implicitly. Hmm? 
Now, those who say that there is perfect knowledge, amongst the mystics, for example, kind of, and I, what I mean by that again, is the kind of knowledge that upon arriving at, one feels there's, there's nothing more that needs to be known. I'm complete now. I can sit. But only for so long before I have to celebrate it and move in a different way, not out of a perceived necessity, but out of fullness. Kirtan comes out of this. Lila comes out of this. It's different than karma. That's an, I've got to move because I've got a perceived necessity. But in Lila, Lila means play, movement. When you hear the stories of Krishna, this is Lila. This is the absolute God is omnipresent and omniscient. How can he move? He's already everywhere. He already knows everything. If you're everywhere and you know everything, then it's hard to move. You already know what's going to happen. You're already everywhere. But Krishna is moving in Lila. Hmm. This is a very extraordinary theological idea as well. Hmm. The force, the power that causes that, that's called bhakti. Hmm. That means love, wise love. Hmm. Wise love. If we want to arrive at this kind of wise love or perfect knowing that can make one perfectly happy, hmm, that has the power to move he who is everywhere, whatever that means. Hmm. I'll give you an example that may be helpful. As I said, if you know everything and you're everywhere, if you're omniscient and omnipresent, it could get boring. It's just a, a simple example. So what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. You, you create something. You create a, uh, a... With your imaginative power, if you will, you arise out of your, your boredom. So Leela is the imaginative power of the Absolute. Hmm? And Kirtan is an invitation to participate in the imaginative power of the Absolute. What, what, what kind of world must that be? Who knows everything? Now wants to imagine something beyond omniscience. What kind of knowing is that? What, where omniscience is looked as a, as a, as, a, as a kind of inhibitor. Hmm? Hmm. So this is a movement of love that that has a kind of knowing to it that transcends all, as I say, omniscience. So 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 this is what I'm speaking. But this kind of idea, when I speak of perfect knowledge, and as I say, there needs to be a perfect method to arrive at it. So just, you know, exercising the gray stuff between our ears or intellect even, we're not going to arrive at, uh, at, 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 at perfect knowledge. Because we are steeped in some measure of imperfection, and perfection does not arise out of imperfection. But perfection can express itself in relation to imperfection and make it perfect, because it's perfect. You understand? Let me give you another example. If the finite wants to know the infinite, how will it be possible? It's possible if the finite allows himself to be known by the infinite. By the if the infinite allows himself to be known by the finite, then the finite's power, which was limited, now becomes unlimited. You follow me? Hmm? The infinite has infinite power. We could say logically, how can the finite know, comprehend, understand, and by that I mean know, comprehend, understand, rise above? If you know a thing, you comprehend it, you've got it in the fist of your hand, what's next? Hmm? So how can the finite know, in a comprehensive sense, the infinite? Well, that's not, that's not possible. 
but it's the infinite wants itself to be known, makes itself known to the finite, then the finite suddenly has a power that exceeds its own inherent ontological, you know, makeup. Hmm? Right? So what I'm saying is that, <laughs> in a little bit of a complicated way, forgive me, if you want perfect knowledge, you need a perfect method. This is a perfect method, something like this, that you might appeal to the very concept of perfection, that in some small way here or there I'm pursuing, hmm? that it's a reality that's just beyond my grasp. I get a glimpse of it, like one ten-thousandth of a second faster, or, you know, whatever it might be, happened. I could, the whole, the whole thing of it, perfection, it, 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 it's not a dead thing. Right? It's alive. It has a life. Hmm? I'm like a, like a, like some uh, limited expression of it. So, so to express to it that you may come within me of your, how you'll do that. I mean, it's like a, a man is going out, the king, let's say, in old times in the monarchy, going out to, to, to conquer the king, the, the land, hmm, on his horse. He mounts his horse with his sword and he's going to ride off into the battle. And his daughter says, I want to ride the horse. You cannot ride. I'm going to war. No, I want to ride. Here's the big king. There's the war about ready to happen. Right? And the daughter says, I want to ride. I want to ride. Says, okay. He gets off the horse. He gets down on his hands and knees. Get on my back. He moves her around like this. The power of the girl, the daughter, does not appear to exceed the power of the king, in my analogy. But she got him to act like a horse, <laughs> to be her horse. What is her power? Her power is, is her innocence, her, her, her appeal, her, her um, persistent, her pleading, if you will. Right? Hmm? And he's charmed by that. So we have to position ourselves in such a way that the Absolute might be attracted to our uh, sincere appeal, something like this. Hmm? That there's a saying over Cl- Cleveland that, that said that um, that if you love someone, they'll tell you all the secrets. That's how to arrive at perfect knowledge. There are secrets that you cannot know otherwise. Nature has a secret. The natural world has a secret. Hmm? So many secrets. Will you understand them by trying to conquer her and put her in a, under the microscope? Seed the clouds for rain. This vastness of nature exceeds uh, human ability to to capture. We, 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 there's 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 this re- recent uh, uh, resurgence in recent times of the idea, the prospect of artificial intelligence. And of course, you know, we have the little lady or the guy on the phone, and you know, all these things. Um, and so there have been um, has been some progress in the field of uh, artificial intelligence. But you know what's wrong with artificial intelligence? In a word, what its limitations are? It's artificial intelligence. <laughs> but, but with regard to the advances 
the goal of artificial intelligence amongst the advocates really of course is 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 to make a perfect human hmm? who has consciousness a machine that has consciousness to prove that we are nothing but machines and nothing really matters therefore right there's no meaning to the life of a machine we think there's meaning this is the, the uh, materialistic perspective we as humans think there's meaning purpose but really we're just machines no different than a coke machine just a little more complex or or a computer hmm? but just a little more complex so with a little bit of time here we're going to make a perfect robot and we're going to demonstrate to everybody that um, we're just robots because we're going to make robots feel just like humans then the robots will say no there is meaning <laughs> no, there is purpose. You never get away from it, you see. <laughs> if they're going to be just like human beings. <laughs> mm. uh, so we, we're purposeful. Hmm? Uh, and, and, and who wants to go to robotic heaven? I mean, this is just, another, this is, this is just the, you know, the myth of modern society, that salvation through science, the nature of which will be robotic heaven, where you'll never break down. Hmm? At least not of old age. Well, you might. I mean, machines do. <laughs> do get rusty. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is a kind of a madness, if you, if, if you will. It's, uh, a lot of money goes for it. <laughs> for it. Uh, uh, but despite the advances in artificial intelligence, it's been said by learned people in the field or, or, or who see beyond the field, that the advancement made in recent decades in the field of artificial intelligence is like the advancement of someone, a boy, let's say, a young boy, who wants to reach out and touch the moon. Hmm? And so he climbs a tree. He's closer now. You understand? (laughs) That's about how much progress. That's how complex we are as humans. Hmm? Hmm? And... And to try to understand our complexity and break it down to just physical uh, matter and so forth is very difficult because, from our perspective, we are not physical. There's something. There's something more. Human life really is fulfilled when it realizes the more that we all sense exists. There's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind, and it's us. Actually, we're a unit, a spark of the fire of perfection. So, 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 so I was saying, if we love someone, they'll tell us all their secrets. There's a secret to nature. And the secret to nature is, among other things, the big secret is that it has a soul. And it's us. And in human life, you can learn the secret. If you live a human life, rather than a human-like animal life. We say in, in Sanskrit, dvipada pashu. You understand? Dvipada means two feet, two-legged. Pashu means animal, a two-legged animal. So humans are more complex forms of life than an animal life, right? Hmm? We ask questions like, why? Uh, <laughs> why? What's happening there is that 
con- the consciousness that we are that transcends our humanity and our animality is is rising to the fore in human life and it's asking about itself hmm? it's a because consciousness is where meaning comes from purpose value hmm? we posit value and purpose on material elements configure them in a certain way and stone and earth and fire becomes a temple right it's coming from inside ourselves, right? From, from consciousness. So human life, consciousness, the atma. Hmm? Life is, is more than biological, and certainly more than chemical and physical. Hmm? Consciousness is a very difficult thing to, uh, to uh, define, because there's nothing like it. We tend to define things by comparing them to other things. And everything is non-experiential, Hmm? And consciousness is experiencing, experiential, experience the, the, the things. I mean, there's no place in materialistic scientific perspective for consciousness. There's really no place for it. They're trying to, like, fit it into the brain here and, 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 and say it's really not what, what, it, what it feels like, but it is. That's why they're having such a difficult time doing it. And the ancient traditions, the spiritual traditions, of course, are all about experiencing it. And we have, cross-culturally, Mystics, examples of people who, who, who have perfect knowledge. They're perfectly content except for one thing. They're full in themselves. They're only lacking. They're only, there's only one thing that's disturbing them. The sorrow of others. The plight of others. Hmm? Universal compassion. Is that perfect knowledge? What do you think? Hmm? <laughs> Is that perfect knowing? The Gita says, and Gita Krishna says, one who knows the sorrows of others to be his own is the perfect yogi, who's touched and is now standing on the ground of being that our humanity arises out of and disappears, and animality arises out of and disappears, hmm? life after life. That ground that we all have in common, that we're rooted in, hmm? consciousness. If we contact that, then we can really love our neighbor like ourselves. We can see beyond the national differences, the gender differences. We can acknowledge them in an empirical sense in terms of our functioning. But otherwise, we can, beyond that, relate to one another, humans, animals, plant life, in terms of what they really are, rather than the dress that they're in. Hmm? Consciousness. Hmm? And the knowers of this, the experience of this, this is, this is their only sorrow. Hmm? Compassion for others. And the way in which they express the compassion, of course, is try to make a comprehensive solution to the problem hmm? by setting an example, by offering the kind of knowledge that we're we're, we're discussing now hmm? that people might and show a way that people might get a handle on pursuing pursuing that hmm? it's a different way of pursuing perfect knowledge rather than going out and acquiring knowledge putting it in my files and using it to further my cause and so forth you find out that perfect knowledge has an agenda of its own and we're on it 
instead of the knowledge being part of my agenda, I'm part of the agenda of perfection. It's a very different way of of knowing. So in human life, this is a ch- the chance to come to this. Hmm? These kind of perspectives. It's a very secret, extraordinary thing. And if we love na- if we love nature, um, nature will point us in the direction, so to speak, of where this knowledge can be derived, hmm, uh, arrived at, uh, acquired. Hmm? That's what yoga is really about. That's what spiritual sadhana, spiritual practice is about. Hmm? And this is not something sectarian. It's this, this shows up in every culture hmm, to one extent or another. The proverbial, um, what's the term? Um, no, but yeah. Um, perennial philosophy. The perennial philosophy. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. In other words, it shows up in Indian mystics. It shows up in, in other Western cultures. The Jesus was saying the same thing. Not many people understand him, <laughs> but you understand. So cross culturally, it's it's not relative to any particular culture. It shows up. It, it's everywhere. It shows up everywhere in some form or or another. Some forms may be more. Uh, perfect and honed to arriving at it, and so forth. So, in our uh, sect, we have there's a positive side to sectarian. There's a negative. There's a pejorative um, uh, connotation to the term sectarian, and then there's a positive one as well. So we have, in other words, I may love my sect. I should. I mean. <laughs> Why, why am I in it if I don't? <laughs> I may think it's the best. If I, if I didn't, I better find the one that I do think is the best. <laughs> but I think that yours is best for you. Hmm? Right? At the same time, within that thinking, I also, if I'm wise, I, I can distinguish between a sect that really is speaking about what we're talking about and one that's, that, that's, that's not. At the core, then, it means... It has to be an ego-effacing sect, one that deconstructs the false identity that we are now absorbed in, that I'm American, that I'm Central American, that I'm Indian, that I'm man or I'm woman. This is, that's, we're pretty deeply into that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Way into so, so So we're afraid to come out of it either. But there's something much more than that. We can we can come out of it, and in the context of coming out of it, we can play the role of being a man, a woman in this world. We can even do it better if we know the more that we are, if we start to have experience of the more that we are, we can actually play the role as a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, whatever, a uh, student or a teacher better. Because then, when things happen in that role, which aren't always the best, or when they're great, we're not going to get too carried away by the highs or too carried away by the lows. Yoga is characterized by this equanimity, this balance in the ocean, the waves of the ocean of material life and material emotion, up and down. As good as it gets is as bad as it will get. Just give it time. Hmm? That's unfortunate reality. Uh, there's two sides of the same coin, happiness and distress. Therefore, the Gita says, attachment to things 
which through which we think we'll acquire happiness. I'll get that. Hmm? I become attached to a thing, and I think I derive happiness from that. Krishna says in the Gita, attachment is the womb from which distress is born. Hmm? Because if you're attached to a thing, and that thing is what you're deriving happiness from, well, one thing about it is it won't last forever. Things are here today and gone tomorrow. So the more attached we are to something that won't endure, the greater the recipe for unhappiness in due course. So at the same time, we can be attached in terms of playing the role and really be into it, so to speak, but at the, when we at the same time have knowledge and experience of the more that we are, then we don't set up this ourselves up for this kind of problem, if you will. Hmm? So this is the art. Yoga is an art. Art of yoga. How to be in the world, but not of the world at the same time. It's a great uh, skill. So this kirtan is, is, is an anga, a limb of the body of the yoga of bhakti. Bhakti comes from the Sanskrit root budge means to give. To give some give and take, something like that. Hmm? So the kirtan, as you see, it's it's a call and it's a response. Hmm? Uh, the, the the founder, if you will, of this type of expression of kirtan, Nimai Pandit, who threw the book away, hmm? as I began, he was the very personification of the of the ecstasy it can be derived from this type of kirtan in, in which, accompanied by a simple kol, uh, this is a clay drum from uh, indigenous people in West Bengal, this, this, these cartels, hand cymbals, they're not fancy instruments. It's kind of a folk music genre that very much lends itself to... Par- part- it's a participatory genre of music. It's not like classical music where... Like, sit back and someone else is, it, it, it invites you to, to, to participate, to enter into. Hmm. Hmm. And, um, and of course, the, the name, the, the principal Nam mantra that we chant is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. comes from the Upanishads. Hmm. That's a long story, but... Uh, this Nimai Pandit, later known as Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Sri Chaitanya, he uh, 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 instructed his followers to chant this particular mantra, in particular with other mantras we chant as well, but this is uh, a, a primary one. And um, without going into the detail of the theological implications of the, of the mantra and so forth, suffice to say that when he chanted it, then the um, he, he exhibited a measure of ecstatic love that um, exceeds anything that we've, see, we've seen or has been recorded in the religious history of the world's uh, mystics. Hmm? Uh, for example, uh, and there are many biographies about him uh, in Bengal. There must be a dozen uh, sacred biographies of his of his, his life and and the, the effect that his kirtan had both as a form of social activism liberating the mercantile class in 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 in, in uh, 
that later became the greater population of Calcutta under the British rule, um, and downtrodden peoples, outcasts, so-called, uh, were his uh, principal followers and so forth. So he, he, his kirtan transcended the socio-religious system that was, uh, in some respects, oppressive. Hmm? Um, caste system, uh, for example. Um, there's a pure form of that, but anyway, that's a, still that's, even that's a lower thing. So it was a, it was a way that, that he, a unifying kind of uh, force uh, socially had uplifted the, the plight of women in, in West Bengal in particular at the time. Um, he did travel, of course, to South India and to uh, what West India, <laughs> yeah, West India, and, um, and the North and so forth. And and uh, it was like it, like it was his influence was rippling throughout the subcontinent. What he was doing, other people came and and kind of formed their own type of kirtan, like Kabir, like uh, Guru Nanak. Um, like Tukram, and, and so forth, all of which were answering to a prominent idea at the time that in order to have union with the divine, you had to become a Brahmin first, born as a Brahmin, then you had to become a sannyasi, and whoa, that's gonna t- which means a renunciate, just traveling barefoot everywhere. But people felt that that there's that there that, that there was a that there's more immediacy for everyone to connect with God, and the kirtan is this kirtan of the names of God was an answer to that. Hmm? So there's this kind of like the bhakti kind of revolution against the monism and the monopoly that the smart as a class of Brahmins had on the on the public, hmm? and and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu his his theology of the name the virtue of the name the logos the power of it so it's very um, comprehensive volumes and volumes and volumes of books written in sanskrit which was the the thinking religious person's language of the time and then translated into bengali for the common people as well hmm. um and oriya uh, orison oriya language as well uh, so at any rate <laughs> he was uh, uh, his his Chaitanya's ecstasy in the Kirtan itself, beyond th- any theological and philosophical exegesis of of what it's about. Just the ecstasy it was very compelling. He would chant and weep, and the tears would bathe the people in his presence, hmm? as if it was coming from a syringe from his eyes. His weeping. And trembling and changing complexion and passing out and so on. so all this is recorded. It sounds like I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> um, but, but there's a, there's a statement. What is that? Bhaya vicha jala hoy bitare anandu moi Krishna premer arbutta charit. Bhaya vicha jala hoy. Bhaya means outside. Bhaya vicha jala hoy. On the outside, it looks a little foreboding, like. Undesirable, like poisonous, like he's weeping. I don't know if I want to be like that. But bitare anandamoy. But inside it is anandamoy. Moy, it is ananda, filled with ananda, ecstasy. Hmm? Krishna prem, premer 
Adbhuta Charit, the Adbhut, the wonderful character Charit of Prem. Prem means love of Krishna is such. The outside, it looks a little uh, foreboding, but inside, that's very sweet, charming, accommodating. Hmm? And by contrast, material life is just the opposite. It might look good on the outside, but if you look carefully, <laughs> it's rotten to the core. <laughs> it's like, uh, it looked good, but huh? there's no full meal. It's only an appetizer. Yeah. Just eat a little, little carrot. You'll be just add this, add this. It never happens. Too many appetizers results in indigestion only. <laughs> the full meal is within. We are full within. We've identified with an empty bag. And we're trying to fill it up. But we ourselves are full. So the kirtan brings out not only our fullness, but our potential to love and brings into the picture the perfect object of love. This is the idea of Krishna. So, a little bit, anyway, about our, our, our practice. Thank you very much for your time. Hare Krishna. Any question? What's the time? What time? 7.26, okay. Do you have some dinner? No. What did you ask? Did we eat or yeah, did. We have, we have not eaten. You have not eaten. What's your name? Uh, my name's Eric. And where are you from? Uh, Toronto, Canada. Okay. I've been there. Oh, uh, yeah? Young Street, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice and, place. Yeah, it is. And where are you from? New Jersey. What part? Um, right along the shore. I was born in New Jersey. In Teaneck at the Holy Name Hospital. Well, that's where I look her up, yeah. Uh, See, we have. Okay, so you're together. Yeah. What's your name? Jessica. Very nice to meet you. And I met you guys. And, and may I ask you? My name is Daniel. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Uh, but Rob Lingles, huh? Yeah. So, you could understand everything? Yes. Okay. Sorry, yes. Um, I'm with a headache, guts, uh, water, um, the water, um, what do you say? Infection. Infection. Yeah. Oh. oh, you went to the waterfall? <coughs> oh, okay. Okay. And up and up, okay? I'm Karen. Karen. Washington, D.C.? Okay. Well, nice to meet you all. Again, thank you for coming. Sisi, Gornatananda ki jai, Daji Gopal ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi.